Hello, and welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Meeting the Moment, episode two of our four-part series entitled COVID-19, How Industry Groups View the Current and Future Impact on Insurance. With your moderators, Karen Pollitt, the Assistant Vice President of Product Development, Accident and Health Division at Access Capital, and Scott Whitaker, the Director of Product Design with Pear and Knight. We're very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode, Karen Melcher. Karen is Regional Vice President in State Relations at the American Council of Life Insurers. ACLI is the leading trade association driving public policy and advocacy on behalf of the life insurance industry. Prior to joining ACLI in 2017, Karen worked for over 20 years in government relations and the corporate law department at CNA Insurance Companies. Karen is an attorney and resides in Illinois. Please join Karen, Scott, and Karen as they discuss the impact that COVID-19 has had and will continue to have on the insurance industry. Hi, Karen, and welcome to the AICP podcast. Hi, good morning. Thank you. So first question, and it's a a three-parter here. What was your biggest challenge at the onset of the pandemic, during the height of the pandemic, and now with regard to the amount of regulatory activity at the state and federal level? So at, at the beginning and the onset of the pandemic, life insurance company leaders and ACLI leaders too made the safety of their employees their top priority, which makes perfect sense. It's not only the right thing to do, but people work better when they feel safe. So this created an almost immediate switch to work from home. Uh, thankfully, we're an industry that is always preparing for the future. So the transition to working from home was quite successful. ACLI, uh, where I work itself, was we're a relatively small organization, about 112 employees. So compared to our member companies, we're you know smaller, but we really... Uh, were a good example of how well the industry uh, responded to that evolving environment. Um, we did a test run of having everyone work remotely. That happened on a Friday. And then on Monday, people were told, don't come back to the office. You are now <laughs> working permanently from home. And uh, there would be no more uh, travel. So for me, I work remotely anyway. I work out of my home in Chicago. We're based in DC. I travel a lot for my job. So that transition to having to do everything. And I'm, I'm an advocate. I'm a, I'm a lobbyist having to do that remotely and trying to keep track of everything, uh, proved to be quite a challenge for us personally. But, um, it also was a big adjustment for our colleagues who were used to going to the office every day, not really prepared with the home technology. So a lot of it issues and, um, just getting used to that quick, uh, just quickly turning on a dime, but we did it quite well and, and quite successfully. So, that was the initial challenge for us from an organizational perspective. But then we, you know, our role as advocates for a life insurance industry, we realized that states were going to likely start imposing quarantine requirements and shutting down businesses. So we focused on making sure that insurance was deemed an essential business so that we would be included in the exceptions for people who could continue to go into the offices and, and run their businesses. And that required outreach to all 50 states at not only the gubernatorial level, but at the state regulatory level. So we had to 
do that to make sure that we were deemed an essential business. And we, we were successful and we were deemed where the states shut down um, businesses, insurance was included as an essential uh, business in those, in those states. So that was from our membership perspective, I think our biggest challenge at the outset. Um, and as things were beginning, as we transitioned to the shutdown and the directives that were coming out of varying agencies, not only the insurance agencies, but the departments of labor and the governor's office, we had to, as the advocacy group for life insurance, we really had to find a way to capture all that information. And it was coming at us fast and furious and making sure we had it presented in a way to our members that they could respond quickly and efficiently and have the information that they needed and collecting it from all the various in, industries and, and our agencies and putting that out in a way that our members could find it useful. So dealing with all of that, you know, internal issues, external issues, I think were, were the biggest challenges we had at the time. Going forward is now um, looking to how do we respond to the existing regulatory directives that are out there, some that are expiring, some that are being extended, and what is our long-term uh, request of all of this. So I think that's what we're we're focusing on now. Wow, that's uh, a lot going on, and um, obviously, you know, as you indicated, things have changed. So, what are your lessons learned, having been through the pandemic and working with the legislators or regulators both um, during this challenging time in the industry? Obviously, there's been some things that you've learned, and maybe would do differently if it ever, and hopefully, it doesn't ever happen again. Or if we have something similar where it causes this type of reaction, would you be able to share something along those lines? Sure. Um, I would say, first off, uh, communication and immediate outreach were essential to getting the accommodations from the regulators. Um, our members needed help to continue functioning and meeting the needs of our customers. And a lot of the things that we're required to do, you cannot do remotely. It's just not physically possible. So even before the states began officially shut down, and we saw many of our companies uh, restrict travel and switch to work from home in high-risk areas like New York, our president um, and CEO, Susan Neely, wrote a letter to all chief insurance regulatory officers outlining several immediate actions that the regulators could take to assist regulated entities. Um, that include like encouraging electronic communication, the temporary delay or suspension of in-person examinations, uh, both for audits and producer licensing requirements, uh, temporary accommodations on filing requirements, no hard copy filings required, no wet signature or notarization. Notarization is a problem when you're all working from home and you can't actually physically, and you need a social distance and you can't go and have someone actually witness you signing a document. Then also refiling of products to meet consumer needs and also coordinating uh, data collection through the NAC rather than have each state asking the same question of individual insurance companies 50 times over. So communication and that immediate outreach was really key. And then the collaboration among the industry. Um, following that letter, Susan participated with other trade execs in a special session of the NEAC specifically focused on COVID-19. So our early outreach with the combined with the uh, working the collaboration with our trade partners really helped the industry and regulators responded to our requests wonderfully well. It really helped. And I think that that's something to keep in mind going forward. The, the continued communication with 
uh, our regulators and our peers. Okay, given all of the uh, the issues that we had to over, you had to overcome uh, with the onset of COVID nineteen, on a scale of one to ten, how do you think the industry performed in reacting to COVID nineteen, and and why do you give it that grade? I well, I'm maybe rather than a numerical ranking, I might give it a, a grade grade. Um, and my, I, I'd say I'd give us an A. Um, I really would. Um, we witnessed as a trade association representing life insurers, our member companies stepping up to make sure they continue to meet their customer needs. At the same time, they're adopting a virtual work from home environment and across their entire organizations, keeping their employees safe. So you know, life insurance companies extended grace periods to policyholders who needed additional time to pay their premiums even before it was being required. They worked with state regulators so policyholders could delay payments and still keep their coverage. In addition to meeting their contractual needs to their customers, we saw our member companies taking on additional initiatives to address the needs of communities dealing with the impact of the pandemic. We started a public campaign to highlight these actions, which we dubbed hashtag meeting the moment. You can check it out um, on our website and, and Twitter and everything. So in additional to the in addition to the charitable contributions that many of our members made, they were to first responders, food banks, educational institutions, medical research related to COVID-19. Meeting the moment kind of serves as a reminder of how the industry protects people's financial future. So we continue to do that. We continue to meet our obligations. And it's not just for, I mean, inspired by COVID-19, but it really is an example of how essential insurance is to everybody's everyday lives. We yeah. are there to protect you in times of crisis. That's, that's, this is where we step up. This is what we're here for. So I, I think that we, we really turned on a dime and we're able to continue to function without a lot of stuff falling through the cracks. And it was really impressive to see. And our members, I would hear in their voices, their their concern of how are we going to get this done? We need to do this for our customers. And it was, for me, quite impressive. So we reacted really well and you gave us a good grade. Now I'm going to say hashtag WWIBO, when will it be over? <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever get back to businesses usual, if you will, um, or pre-COVID working conditions. I don't think um, that's that's going to be um, the future. But I do think we've learned some valuable lessons that hopefully will translate into a better way of doing business going forward. Um, in For life insurance, there's been a move towards a more touchless underwriting approach versus the traditional physical examination and having the insurance representative come to your house and take your health specimens. Um, well, there'll probably be a, there'll be a greater reliance on medical records going forward and, and other things. But um, at the beginning of this, I mentioned we talked about the accommodations that we asked of regulators for a temporary uh, fix while we were dealing with the remote working and all of that. So I think we're going to be looking for some permanent adoption of some of those accommodations. Uh, producer licensing training and continuing education being allowed to be online versus in person. Um, again, remote examinations, both of insurance companies and the ones that the insurance companies have to do with their TPAs. 
and all that. So I think um, we'll see a, just a, a more efficient work environment going forward. You know, we've been through so many challenges in the last 200 plus years as an industry. World wars, Spanish flu, other influenza pandemics, the trade uh, center attacks on 9-11. And we deal with these trial runs for catastrophes all the time. So the constant that remains for us is our preparedness for the unexpected. Our investment strategies, our underwriting approaches, all are developed so we're ready to deliver on our promises in the most challenging circumstances. So I believe this pandemic will add to that experience and see us coming out the other side, whatever that other side looks like, stronger and more prepared. Well, you gave us an, an A as an industry, and uh, it, it doesn't get much better than that. But mm. that said, is there any particular state that stands out to you that that reacted and communicated well as it relates uh, to the pandemic? And, and why would you say that state? I, I wouldn't single out a particular state necessarily. Um, it would actually, I think, be a little difficult to do so. But there was more of an observation of, of the practice employed by a handful of states. As I said in the beginning, there were so many directives coming out um, all along the same lines, but each state had a little tweak to it. Um, and the states that were very clear with a new bulletin or a directive, or when they were modifying or rescinding a previous issued bulletin, sometimes at our request, <laughs> when they notified us which one was being affected and in what way, and they were very clear and concise in their requests, that's what was helpful for us. And that's what was helpful for our members so they knew how to respond. The ones that weren't as clear made it a little more difficult. Had We had to go back for more clarification or leave it up to us to decide what it was we thought they were asking us to do. So I would say to the states that want to know um, how can we do you know, better or continue to do well in the future, clear and concise direction is important, particularly when you're being faced with these directives coming at you at a, a super fast pace, daily, multiple from all states. And I think that was that was the key for us to be able to communicate the need, the, the directives to our members by um, with the states that really were upfront, straightforward and concise. So in about 10 years, when we look back at this COVID-19 pandemic, um, what do you think will be some of the most important lesson learned for the industry? So, you know, we talked a little bit about lessons learned now, but as, as we get some time to get away from this and we look back at it, um, what are you going to, what do you think will be some of those lessons learned? I think the most important takeaway for me anyway, um, is that industry and regulators shouldn't view each other as adversaries. You know, we can work together perhaps with a different point of view, but it's the combined effort of both the companies and the regulators that make sure we deliver on the promises we make. And I think that was uh, something that should hopefully last and transcend this experience because we did work so well with our regulators uh, going forward, getting the accommodations we needed, giving them the information they needed. I mean, that's one thing we understood is like, they're asking us for this information because their governors and, and their constituents are asking them for this information and we needed to understand their position they needed to understand our position and I think we did that quite well and we did it together so don't view each other as adversaries and let's take that forward nice 
Karen, in, in your opinion, what's the biggest issue that will face the regulators and lawmakers today or in the new future with respect to COVID-19? I think the biggest challenge is not knowing what's next or when this will subside uh, to the point where we can return to quote unquote normal life. Um, when will we get beyond the point where this won't threaten to shut down daily life as we know it? I mean, we sit here in Illinois, where I am located, um, we're in phase four, but we've got counties on the verge of being rolled back to phase three. So when will we get past that and get to the stable point where we can live with COVID, if you will? Um, I think when we have that answer, we'll be able to identify the next steps and how we're going to move forward. But a good example of that is um, the grace periods that were extended to policyholders uh, financially impacted by COVID-19. How long should those go on? How do we make sure people remain protected by being able to keep their policies while at the same time keeping companies financially stable through the continued collection of premium? How does COVID-19 impact underwriting decisions? We don't even know what the long-term effects of this disease is. So I think the biggest challenge is all the unknowns we face. And we're an industry that really likes to know what lies ahead, or at least be able to anticipate what may lie ahead. So perhaps I think our biggest challenge is figuring out what comes next so we can be prepared for it. What was it that made you think that COVID-19 was going to have the implications on the industry? Uh, like, when did you personally come to this realization early on? So I've been in the insurance industry for 23 years. I started working at a large PNC company straight out of law school, and I've never left. And it took me about two months working at the PNC company before I started looking at situations through an insurer's lens, meaning I'd see a car accident or building on fire or weather event. And my second thought after, gosh, I hope everyone is okay, was always, yikes, I hope they had insurance or that's going to cost some money. So when I first heard about the extensive quarantines in China and in Europe and whole countries shutting down, I thought to myself, how is this going to impact people financially? How are they going to afford this? I mean, how can, how can you live if you don't have a job, you don't uh, have the ability to go out and make money or any, you know, cover what you need to cover. I mean, it just, it, it really, started to say, if that's going to impact individuals, how is this going to impact companies? I mean, when the stock market uh, crashed and no one thought it would rebound as well as it has so far, um, I thought to myself, how is this going to impact insurers' investments? And then I thought, you know, we've been through 9-11. We came together, lifted each other up. We kept our promises. So we're a strong, well-capitalized, resilient industry. And I know we'll get through this just as we have the many other incredible challenges we've faced in the past. But um, I, it, there was a moment where I was very, I was very worried in the beginning um, in March and April. And as we've moved through this and the way we've responded, I, I've gotten a little more comfort that we will in fact move forward and, and be fine. So you talked a little bit about this earlier, um, you know, that most states have lifted the moratoria or non-cancellation of policies. And you also talked about a few that we've seen extending that um, or reimposing them. Um, a, why do you think they're doing that? And for those that have not yet, um, what do you think needs to occur for that to happen? Well, not as you said, not every state is lifted and that uncertainty is a little problematic. Um, 
a lot of them have. There's probably like a handful, like four or five, I think, that still have them on. But we we can't indefinitely waive the collection of premium and still abide by our contracts. Um, but I think for those that have lifted them, uh, I think for them to reimpose them, we'd have to go back to a situation like in March and April where there were massive layoffs and furloughs and people were out of jobs and, and have no income to pay their premiums. But eventually those premiums have to be paid. Uh, it's the linchpin in insurance business model. We take in premium, we invest the premium dollars, build our capital so we can pay our claims. So if we stop taking money in, the amount we have to pay out will diminish significantly, which will make it difficult to pay future claims. And I think regulators realize that. So I think it would it would have to be a severe restriction of life as we know it for them to go back and reimpose those grace periods. For those that haven't lifted them yet, some of them appear to be rolling. So it's unclear if they're just, you get a one-time bite at the apple, you get your 60-day extension, or if you get your 60-day extension and that continues for as long as you're impacted by it. That's that's something we're going to have to deal with going forward and and getting clarification on that. But regulators do realize the way industry functions, we need to be able to take in the premium and we can only suspend that for so long. As much as we want to be able to allow people to keep their uh, policies in in force, we also have to realize the reality of what we need to remain financially stable as an industry. Yeah, I agree. It's, It's tough with that. And, you know, I think it's being fair to the insurers and at some point, you know, as you said, life has to get on or at least move forward. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch as things go through um, through the economy and through our industry. Um, Karen, do you have any other questions? No, that that's pretty much it for me. Uh, great conversation. Uh, sure, I, you know, I really love when Karen mentioned meeting the moment. I think that's that's something we've, we've done well as an industry. And uh, I'm very, very proud to be a part of that industry right now. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you.